Okay, welcome back to the listener's commentary on 2 Corinthians. This will be our final recording on the letter of 2 Corinthians. We'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. And in this final section, Paul has turned to his intention to visit them soon. And he wants them to be ready when he comes. He wants them to be ready with the collection. He wants them to be ready specifically in their genuine faith and living for Jesus. And so he hopes that that's the way it's going to be when he comes. And he hopes part of that will also be a a deep-seated repentance and restoration of their relationship. He wants his relationship with them to be all good. And so he, he talked about that at the end of chapter 12. And he continues that here in chapter 13 as he begins to wind down this letter. And so he opens chapter 13 by restating that this will be his third visit. He says, this is the third time that I'm coming to you. And we noted in the previous recording that the first time was when he planted the church. The second time was that painful, difficult visit where he left humiliated and shamed. And then this time when he comes will be the third time. Now, based on the fact that this will be his third visit, Paul actually does something interesting in the second half of verse 1. Look what he says. He says, On the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter shall be confirmed. This is based on a principle out of the Old Testament law where uh, an investigation needed at least two or three witnesses in order to confirm the case against somebody. What Paul seems to be saying here is that all his visits add up to the right number of witnesses to make a case against them if necessary, to really sort out who they really are and what's really going on. And so he explains in verse 2, I have previously said when I was present the second time, that is the painful, difficult visit, And though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well. So in preparation for for the third visit, which will serve like the third witness, uh, if there are people who are still sinning and they're still opposed to Paul, still opposed to the true gospel that he preaches, they better get ready because Paul's coming and he'll have enough data and enough witnesses to make a case against them. And so he, he says to them in advance that second half of verse 2, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. That I'm going to come, and if there is still rebellion, and there still is a rejection of Paul's ministry team and Paul's gospel, I'm not going to spare anyone. Verse 3, since you are seeking proof of the Christ who speaks in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. Paul, Paul is like, all right, you want proof of the power of Christ in me? Well, it's going to show up in me having to get tough with you and uh, not spare you. He's been patient with them. He's worked with them, right? He left in disgrace. He sent them a straightforward letter. He's sent Titus to them. He's been patient. He's worked with them through Titus and the letters to call them to repentance and to repair the relationship. But if he comes and there's still some there who haven't repented, well, it'll be time to deal with them. And just as his whole ministry embodies the death and resurrection of Jesus, well, his dealing with them will also embody the resurrection and death of Jesus as well. So he says in verse 4, For indeed, he, that is, Jesus, the Christ, was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we too are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. In other words, when Paul comes, he will be full of the dying of Jesus and the resurrection power of Jesus, and that's how he'll deal with them in the same sort of way. 
And so he calls them now, before he comes, to examine themselves and to see where they're at and to see where they stand. And so he says in verse 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. This is a call to them before he comes to do some serious individual self-examination, but also some collective self-examination. Where are you at, O Corinthians, individually and corporately? Where do you stand, not only in relationship to Paul, but since Paul's an apostle of Jesus and represents Jesus, if you're not right with Paul, you're really not right with Jesus. And so he says, Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? And that in you there probably actually has the sense of among you. Um, That uh, one of the ways that phrase can be understood in the Greek. And so, yes, in you individually. But here, Paul speaking to the group of them, and this group has been a problem. A, a large portion have repented. He wants to make sure they, they're fully right with him. There's still some who oppose him. And so, yes, in you individually, but also in and among you collectively as well. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, they all, you all, are the temple of God. You're God's sacred dwelling place, meant to display God's wisdom and truth to the world, to be holy and all of that. And so God's in you. Christ is in you. And so the question is, do you fail the test or not? Are you in the faith or not? That's what their self-examination needs to really be looking at. And what Paul goes on in verse 6 to talk about himself and his ministry team. Verse 6, he says, And I expect that you will realize we ourselves don't fail the test. We don't fail the test. We really are in the faith, and Jesus really is in us. And now we pray, verse 7, to God that you do nothing wrong, not so that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, though we may appear unapproved. It's an interesting sentence, but what Paul is getting at there is, We're really concerned about your well-being. We know we don't fail the test. We want you to examine yourself to see if Jesus is really in you and you're really in him. Um, And so we want you to do nothing wrong. And we we want that, not just so that we look good, so that we can, you know, have uh, credentials for our ministry. That's not really our concern at all. We want you to do this so that you will do what is right regardless of what people say about us or think about us. Even if we appear unapproved, it doesn't matter as long as you are being faithful and doing what is right. That's where Paul is at. And Paul wants this because he and his team, well, they are merely servants of the truth. Look at verse 8. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And so we're simply trying to serve the truth, promote the truth, preach the truth, speak the truth. And so we really aren't concerned about what people think about us. We are concerned about your well-being. That's the force of this. And so he says in verse 9, 4, explaining, We rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you become mature. This is Paul's great concern. And so he and his team, they don't fail the test. They're servants of the truth. They're servants of Jesus. And their real concern is for the Corinthians. We want you guys to do what's right. We want you guys to be strong in the faith. We want you guys to grow to maturity. And so if Paul and his team suffer, if they're persecuted, if they look weak, no big deal for them if the Corinthians simply become strong in the faith. And that's what they're praying for, that the Corinthians would become mature in Christ. 
And so that's why he's writing this letter before he comes. That's why he sent it with Titus before he came. He's just trying to make sure things are situated right. So when he comes, he doesn't have to actually be tough with them. So he says in verse 10, this is the reason I'm writing these things to you while absent. So that, here's the reason, here's the goal. When present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not tearing down. Like the Lord called me as an apostle, gave me this authority. And the primary reason was to build you up, to help you become strong, to help you become mature in the faith, to help you really be established as a church. I don't want to tear you down. And so I'm writing these things to you ahead of time so that hopefully everything can be settled and situated so that when I come, I don't have to use severity. I don't have to get tough with any of you. So that's his hope, and that's his aim with this letter. And with that, Paul has wrapped up the, the body of the letter and all the things he really wanted to say to the Corinthians. And so all that's left now is the final words and the sign-off. And that's what we get in verses 11 through 13. And so Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, mend your ways, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. Notice that Paul, as he wraps up the letter, just kind of shotgun approach, lists off just some specific calls to action. He wants them to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in each other. And rejoicing really is corporate. When someone is joyful, they want to share it with somebody else and it impacts other people. So rejoice, mend your ways, that is uh, repent and get rid of these sinful behaviors and these sinful attitudes and these sinful values, mend your ways. Be comforted, that is be encouraged, be strengthened, be fortified for uh, the life of faithfulness to Jesus. Be like-minded. That is, uh, begin to view things the same way as Jesus does, as Paul does, as each other does, right? As the faithful do. Be like-minded. Live in peace uh, with one another. Live in shalom, in harmony with one another. These are Paul's final calls to action. And then that comes with a promise. And the God of love and peace will be with you. If you do these things, if you rejoice and mend your ways and be fortified and strengthened and like-minded and live in peace, the God of love and peace will be with you. He will fill you. He will strengthen you. He will establish you. And then verses 12 and 13, final greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That is a kiss of greeting, like among family. This was the standard way a family greeted each other or warm affection greetings. In our culture, it's, it's maybe a hug. In their culture, it was, a, it was a quick kiss on the cheek as a family-style greeting. And so greet one another warmly, love one another warmly like family. And then he says in verse 13, all the saints greet you. Who are the saints? That's God's people. That's those in Christ, all those set apart as belonging to God. And so all God's people greet you. And then Paul signs off the letter of 2 Corinthians with a benediction. And it's a benediction based on the Trinity, the triune God. Look at verse 14. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so this is Paul's final benediction to the Corinthians. The grace, that is the favor and the kindness of 
Jesus, who is Lord and King, Christ anointed as King, right? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, that is God the Father, may his love be with you. And the fellowship, that is uh, the, the partnership and the oneness that the Spirit creates. If you have the Spirit and I have the Spirit, then we are partners and we're one in this. And so may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with that, Paul signs off the letter of 2 Corinthians. And in this letter, we have seen Paul's heart. We have learned Paul's philosophy of ministry. We have seen how it's shaped by the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. We have heard Paul appeal like a father to his children. And this has really helped us understand really how we ought to think about Christian ministry, Christian service of whatever kind, whether paid vocational ministry or not. Paul's example teaches us what authentic, genuine Christian ministry looks like. And we hear that really here in this final paragraph of the letter, where Paul's appeal to them is he wants them to be growing to maturity in Christ. He wants them to repent and mend their ways. He wants them to live faithful lives in Jesus. And he doesn't want to have to come and be stern or be harsh. He wants to come with affection and joy and love and be reunited with the Corinthians in a warm, relational sort of way. But he knows that that may not be possible. And so he invites them to examine themselves and just see, are you really in, in Christ? Uh, are you really walking with him? Is he really in you individually and corporately? And so we get here from Paul really the heart of what his ministry is all about. His ministry is about helping people genuinely live with Jesus and for Jesus by being like Jesus in the world. That's what we see as Paul wraps up the letter, and that's really been at the heart of this whole letter, is that there is a Jesus-centered way of both living for him and serving him in this world. And Paul's great concern here in 2 Corinthians is that those in Corinth and those who call themselves God's people all throughout the world since the time this letter was written would actually embody the gospel, the the dying of Jesus and the rising of Jesus in the way they live, in the way they talk, in the way they interact with each other, in all the ways they conduct themselves, that their life would embody the very gospel that they claim to believe. So may it be true for you and may it be true for me as we live for Jesus and seek to serve Jesus in this present city and world in which we find ourselves living as well. All right, thanks for studying 2 Corinthians here on the Listener's Commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generosity of all sorts of people just like you. So thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can swing over to listenerscommentary.com, listenerscommentary.com. Click the Give button. It'll redirect you to a page where you can put in a one-time or a monthly recurring donation, or you can support this ministry through signing up for the Study Hub all monthly donors get access to bonus material, some online courses that'll help you uh, dig into theology or spiritual growth or how to study the Bible, as well as uh, resources that'll help you study specific books, maps, overview charts, pictures, and things that'll help you really dig in so that you can learn and live the Bible. Thanks a ton in advance for your support.